if you'll open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Uh, over the last several weeks, we've been meditating on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and in the first uh, 12 verses, we saw Jesus describing these heart postures of, of what we called true kingdom citizens. Uh, things uh, like seeing our, our complete poverty and need of Christ, mourning our sin, trusting God to be our advocate, craving righteousness, and being peacemakers. Uh, along with these, these heart postures came some amazing promises too. Uh, but today, Jesus is going to take it a step further. So I want to start off by telling us a, a fictional story about this guy named Steve. Uh, and this present that he received. Uh, once upon a time, there was a guy named Steve. And Steve was an avid golfer. He loved golfing, but he didn't have very good clubs. Uh, all of the other golfers were playing with these state-of-the-art technology, um, drivers with dialed-in loft angles, if you know what that is, perfectly fitted, flexible graphite shafts, all kinds of new bells and whistles to help the ball go further and straighter if in the right hands. Steve, on the other hand, was still playing with old wooden clubs, steel shafts, and the slickest grips you've ever seen. Well, one day, Steve's best friend decided to surprise him. He went out and bought Steve one of these new drivers. He wrapped it up, trying to disguise it, but that was kind of impossible with a golf club. The day came, and this friend gave the club to Steve. Steve was amazed and excited even, thankful for the gift. He was so thankful that he took the club home, drilled some screws into the wall above the fireplace, and mounted the club there permanently. I know what you're thinking. Come on, Steve. The, the club was designed to be played with, not to be drilled into the wall. That club was meant for the course, not for the mantle. You're exactly right. This is the tact that, that Jesus takes here in the Sermon on the Mount. He's just spent 12 amazing verses telling us how God has designed the Christian heart. Now, Jesus is going to show us that these hearts were designed with a purpose in mind. These hearts were made for the course, not for the mantle. In other words, a Christian is designed to be poor in spirit, mournful for sin, meek, hungering for righteousness, pure in heart, and pulled toward making peace. Those things are true. But he or she is never meant to be these things in isolation from the world. A Christian is meant to manifest those things in the world, to affect the world. So uh, let's dive into the text. Uh, while we're only going to focus on verse 13 today, uh, I'm going to go ahead and read next week's text too, because they actually go together. So Matthew 5, 13 through 16, this is the word of the Lord. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. 
You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. There are so, so many other things that Jesus could have compared Christians to uh, in this analogy. And yet he chose salt. You are the salt of the earth, he says. While uh, there certainly might be other uses for salt, uh, today we're going to primarily focus on four different truths that we're meant to see in Jesus' teaching. Number one, salt is a preservative. Number two, salt adds flavor. Number three, salt is common. And number four, salt creates thirst. So number one, jumping in, salt is a preservative. Uh, First, it's important for us to understand that in Jesus' day, there was no Maytag or Whirlpool or or Frigidaire. Uh, They didn't have refrigeration for their food at all. Uh, Most of us are able to go to Costco and buy some meat, take it home, and keep it fresh in our refrigerator or our freezer. Not so much in Jesus' day. The only way that they could keep things from rotting was to put salt all over it. Uh, Salt uh, prohibited the growth of these microorganisms. What what salt does is it pulls all of the water out of each cell cell, uh, within a piece of meat. So think about that in light of what Jesus says here. He's teaching us something about the world and something about our calling as Christians in the world. First, he's teaching us this, that, that the world left to itself is going to grow more and more and more rotten without God. Without his people, the world will spoil and rot in their sin. Over and over and over and over again in the scriptures, uh, we see this, that that the world is not basically a good place. People aren't naturally good. From the moment that Adam and Eve rebelled against God in the garden, the world has become more and more and more and more broken because of our sin against God and our sin against each other. But Jesus says, you, Christian, are the salt of the earth. I want us to kind of deal with two ends of the spectrum that that we as Christians tend to run to. Uh, On one side, one error is the error of saying, Well, the world's rotten. Let's just get out of it altogether. Let's stay in the salt shaker and completely separate from the world. Let's withdraw from the world and isolate ourselves. Well, during Jesus' day, there was a group who did exactly that. Uh, They were known as the Essenes, and they lived out near the Dead Sea Sea, uh, in these caves called Qumran. Uh, You may have heard of the famous Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, These are the people who actually copied them. So while we're grateful for their work, they missed the point completely. God never intended us to live an isolated life uh, away from the world. Later in church history, you had similar people in the monastic movement who did the same thing. They moved out to the desert 
They believed that to be the best, most holy Christian that you could be meant to move out into the desert to a convent or a monastery. Martin Luther, uh, he discovered that even there, he couldn't get away from his own sin. And that wasn't what God intended. Today, we have people like the Amish, who, who try to keep completely separate from the world altogether. Now, these are extreme examples, right? But more, more often, most of us, it looks like simply staying in our holy huddles, only spending time with Christians, never having real and meaningful interaction with the world. I want us to look at this closely. Jesus doesn't say, you are the salt, and stop there. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. Salt does absolutely no good if it stays in the shaker. It's useless, actually. It's only able to preserve meat if it's on it. It's got to be actually rubbed into the meat. Think about that. You mean, you mean I'd have to get taken out of the shaker and spread around? And that I might get dirty and even seem to dissolve or disappear? Yes. In fact, the salt must dissolve. We have to dissolve to our own interests and our own self. We have to dissolve to our own comfort and sometimes to my own way of life. You, Christian, are called to be a preservative. The other tendency, so if, if one tendency is to, to remain completely separate and out of the world, the other tendency and error Christians can fall into is being in the world and of the world. In other words, they're in the world, but they're not salt. Jesus is saying, Christian, you're called to be distinct. You have a distinct worldview. You have a distinct way of life. If you don't have that, you'll never be a preservative. You are the salt of the earth. So understand this. We must see the world as decaying and yet love it enough to be salt. We've got to hate the ways of the world, but yet not want the world to be condemned. Love the world, but not the ways of the world. You're a preservative. Maybe you're at work and there's some kind of vulgar conversation going on. When you walk up, does it stop? If so, you've just worked as a preservative in that conversation. Maybe being around you has caused someone to be more honest. If so, you've just worked as a preservative. Ultimately, our goal is to see people eternally preserved through faith in Jesus. And we serve that purpose too as Christians. As we're shaken out of the salt shaker, God wants to use us to see eternal preservation in the lives of those he's calling to himself. So we preserve people through pointing them to Jesus and calling them to turn from sin and trust in Christ. So point one, salt is a preservative. Second, salt adds flavor. 
While uh, we don't often use salt today as preservative, we understand the second one well. Most of us have salt shakers at all of our dinner tables. Why? Because salt adds flavor. This is another aspect of what Jesus says about you as a Christian. You're there to preserve, but you're also meant to flavor the world. The truth is this, that the pleasures of the world are completely unsatisfying without Jesus. But when Jesus has changed our lives, when he's transformed our hearts, and when we're scattered all over the world, we give flavor to the flavorless. I kind of think about it like Chinese food. Uh, The flavors of the world last for a time, but then you feel empty. This leads the world to this endless search for satisfaction that they'll never find. Christian, you're shaken out of the shaker into that void. You're there to bring flavor, true and lasting flavor, flavor that ultimately and fully satisfies. Again, We can't do that from a distance. If we're going to actually flavor something, we've got to have contact with it. So are you close enough relationally to someone that you can walk with them through the disappointments of life's flavor and bring them the flavor of Christ? Does your life radiate the joy and satisfaction of Christ? That's what it means to be salt. This can look like a number of things. It can look like service. When you attend a party, are you helpful? And while being helpful, are you joyful and thankful? If so, you've just added great flavor to that party. This is what we're trying to do at places like Ride Away and Homeless Garden Project and Junior Giants and everywhere we go as individuals and as a church. We're trying to add the flavor of Christ through sacrificial service. It can also look like listening. So as your friend or neighbor is going through something hard, do you patiently listen and actually empathize with what they're going through? Offering scriptural words of comfort and encouragement. If so, you've just added great flavor to your friend's difficulty. It can also look like speaking words of truth. The right word given at the right time can add so much flavor to a conversation. I think of a group of guys sitting around a campfire talking and a Christian flavoring that conversation with godly wisdom and encouragement and peace and humility. That adds great flavor to everyone involved. There are so many ways that we as Christians can add flavor to the world. So, You are the salt of the world. Salt is a preservative. And second, salt adds flavor. Third, salt is common. Salt is common. This is kind of humbling, to be honest. But notice that Jesus doesn't say, you, Christian, are the gold of the earth. Or, you're the frankincense of the earth. He says, you are the salt of the earth. And it's been that way from the beginning, hasn't it? In Genesis 1 and 2, God made man in the garden. Did he use gold or silver? No, he used dust. 
but he breathed into that dust the divine breath of life. Throughout the Old Testament, God doesn't use who we think he should, right? He uses common people to do great things in his name. Jesus was born not in a palace, but in a stable. He was born to common parents in a common town. He chose a ragtag group of 12 to follow him and be his disciples. He didn't choose influential people. And the point there is that God each time gets all of the glory. God uses common things in common people like us. Salt is common. And that's kind of the point. It's easy for us to think things like, man, if, if we as Christians could just get a famous spokesman or a spokeswoman for Christianity, then people would decide to follow Jesus. If, if more famous people would speak for Jesus, then people would actually take Christianity seriously. Jesus isn't interested in that. He wants salt. Salt is common. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. He says this, he says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring nothing uh, to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So God uses the common... And he gets the glory, not us. Think about it. While salt preserves and flavors, it actually works pretty inconspicuously. When salt draws attention to itself, there's too much salt there. But if it's gone, you've got a problem. If the world didn't have salt, it would rot. But our influence isn't about being noticed. It's about being inconspicuous and purposeful. Jesus chooses to use you and me and every other ordinary Christian in purposeful ways in the world and in this city and in our neighborhoods and in our jobs and in our families. Salt is common and salt is plentiful. This is just how Jesus wants it. If you're a Christian, don't think for a moment that God can't use you. If, if you've turned from sin and trusted in Christ, you're called to be salt. You're called to be used by God exactly as he's created you. So salt is a preservative. Salt adds flavor and salt is common. Fourth and finally, salt creates thirst. Salt creates thirst. I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've got one of these little salt packets in your hands. You open it up, pour it into your mouth. Think about that. Imagine that. I bet your mouth's watering a little bit just thinking about that, right? 
Doing that would absolutely make you ready for a drink of water. Salt creates thirst. If you actually ate this salt, you would experience that firsthand. So I want to ask a question. Christian, do you create a thirst for Jesus Christ? Do you create a thirst for Jesus Christ? As you live your life, is there evidence of satisfaction and joy and peace that makes the not-yet-believer say, that's what I lack, but what I want with all of my heart? In the Old Testament, there was this feast, and it was known as the Feast of Tabernacles. It took place in the city of Jerusalem, and it was the custom for priests to go out to this pool known as the Pool of Siloam. They would go out there each day for seven days, and they would bring these huge containers of water that were then taken back and poured out in the temple ceremonially. And on the last day of this festival, this was actually done seven times. So they did this for seven days, and on the last day, they did it seven times from this pool, big containers, dumping them out in the temple. This is the feast that was spoken of in John chapter 7. John chapter 7 Verses 37 through 38 says this, On the last day of the feast, the great day, right in the middle of this feast, this ceremony that's going on, them dumping out water, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Three chapters earlier, in John chapter 4, Jesus told this Samaritan woman at the well that he was living water. John 4, verse 10 and 13 says this, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Verse 13, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, speaking of the water, the physical water in the well. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Jesus is living water. Only he can truly satisfy the thirst of the human soul. Your responsibility as a Christian, hear this loud and clear, your responsibility as a Christian isn't to satisfy that thirst yourself. Your responsibility is to make people thirsty for Jesus. (coughs) Through the way that you live your life, are people thirsty for Jesus? You, Christian, were saved for a purpose. You have a great calling as a Christian. In closing, I want you to see these two different perspectives here. We finished last week in verses 10 and 12, talking about how Christians will experience persecution and reviling. Remember that? That's what the world thinks of you. The world thinks that you're disposable and really not worth much at all. And yet, this is what God thinks of you. You are the salt of the earth. Without you, the world will rot. Without you, the world will be flavorless. You were saved for a purpose. You are valuable to God. 
And he desires to use you in the world. You're called to be distinct. You're called to be in the world, to be used by God. You are the salt of the earth. Let's pray.